Uh, it's a special occasion, isn't it, in the life of the church, uh, when we come to remember with very clear focus the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross. Um, if he had not suffered and died in our place, if he had not been raised to life again by the power of God, we of all people would be most pitiable. Uh, we would have no hope, either in this world or in the world to come. But we do live in a very confused world, don't we? We're living in confused times. Uh, if you review the way that things have been unfolding uh, throughout the passage of this year so far, it seems that there has been an extraordinary uh, flow of natural disasters, earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes. It just seems to be almost every single day there is something else that's hitting the news. In fact, the year start, since the start of this year, there's been over 400 major earthquakes around the globe. That is, earthquakes registering five or more on the Richter scale. The year started on January 1 with a, a uh, 5.5 earthquake off the coast of Indonesia. That was just the very start of the year. In fact, throughout the month of January, uh, there were at least 30 major earthquakes around the globe. Uh, that was fairly quickly followed on on the 8th of January with another uh, seven Point zero earthquake off the coast of Vanuatu and then another one off the coast of Indonesia on the 18th of January. And then, of course, more recently, we will have been all very familiar with the massive earthquake in Turkey and Syria, a 7.9 registering earthquake that has killed over 57,000 people. And the, the task that has gone on, the humanitarian task of trying to provide aid and support to people from those regions continues to this very day. Indeed, a, a good friend of ours, a missionary that we've been supporting, is currently now uh, in the western part of Turkey seeking to bring aid in the name of the Lord Jesus into that devastated region. And yet I want to remind you again this morning that over 2,000 years ago there was another earthquake that absolutely rocked this world. It happened half a world away from us in the land of Israel. We've just had it read to us. And I don't know whether you've ever taken a lot of notice of what took place there at the crucifixion of Jesus, but Matthew is very careful to point out to us that at the time of Jesus' crucifixion and his death, there was an earthquake that shook the very foundations of Jerusalem and the rocks were split open. I don't know if any of you have ever lived through an earthquake. Maybe some of you here have had that kind of experience. I've not had that experience, but I suspect it is entirely unnerving to suddenly feel the ground beneath your feet begin to rumble and to shake and you're not sure how bad this is going to be or whether you're going to need to run for your life. Remember some years ago as we were pastoring in at the City Tabernacle, uh, one of the young ladies in our church made contact with us and you might remember the occasion of the massive earthquake in New Zealand in Christchurch. And she had been on the phone talking to her sister and tragically her sister was killed in that horrendous earthquake that hit Christchurch those years ago. I don't know whether you've had any of those sorts of experiences but what I want us to do for this morning is just pause for a moment and look particularly at some of the things that happened on that occasion as Jesus died upon the cross. 
As we read across the four Gospels, we are provided with some very full and clear account of all that took place on that Good Friday, as we call it, just over 2,000 years ago. But there are three things that I want us to be focused upon this morning. The first comes in our Bible reading from this morning. If you have your Bibles, would you please open them to Matthew 27? And I want you to notice particularly the first of these, which comes in verses 45 and 46. It says, From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over the whole land. That is from midday to about three o'clock in the afternoon. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And clearly those who heard Jesus cry from the cross were unsure, if not confused, about what it was that he was actually saying. Some presumed that he was crying out for Elijah. And what they thought they should do is, well, let's just wait. Let's just wait to see whether the prophet Elijah will come to rescue him. But then Matthew goes on to say, when Jesus had cried out again with a loud voice, he gave up his spirit and he died. On Easter Sunday, we're going to be picking this up and moving into chapter 28. And I want us to try and get something of the sense of the gravity of that moment as Jesus gives up his life. He dies. But at that very moment, something else happens. And Matthew wants us to understand it very clear. At the moment in which Jesus dies, right back inside the city walls, right in the very heart of the city, in the temple itself, in fact, right in the very centre part of the temple, you have this massive curtain which separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. And this massive curtain was torn, as it were, almost with unseen hands from the top down to the bottom. It was a massive curtain. It stood about 18 metres high and about 9 metres wide. The scriptures tell us that it was about a hand's breadth wide in thickness. This, this was nothing other than a divine act of God in which this curtain is torn right down the middle. And you might remember back from the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus where we read about the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And that was the day in which once a year the high priest and the high priest only could go in behind that curtain and offer the sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. But I wonder if you could imagine what it would have been like for those who were inside the temple on that occasion when all of a sudden, without warning, that huge, massive curtain that they had seen year upon year upon year, which stood, as it were, as a barrier between them and the holiest of holies, the very presence of God, suddenly it is torn from top to bottom. And I expect that people would have begun to run for their lives in fear. But then Matthew is also minded to tell us of something else that took place 
at that very moment. Have a look with me, please, at verse 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And then he says, the earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. What on earth was going on? As the ground begins to rumble and shake, we have seen it on so many occasions with the benefit of TV footage that people begin to run, don't they? They begin to run perhaps in all kinds of directions looking for a place of safety and without a doubt on that day as the sky had become mysteriously dark for three long hours in the middle of the day and then they hear this piercing cry come from the cross and the ground begins to rumble and shake you could not help but imagine that people would have begun to run in all kinds of directions for fear about what was actually happening. What was happening? What explanation can be provided for these things? Strange and terrifying goings on. What are we to make of Jesus' cry from the cross, my God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? Had God, in fact, in reality, turned his back upon his son, as one of our more contemporary songs would suggest? You see, it wouldn't be until sometime later that the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, would finally understand the reality of what had happened as Jesus hung upon the cross and cried out in that way. You see, there upon the cross, Jesus actually takes the very words penned by the psalmist David those centuries before in Psalm 22 when he cries out, My God, my God, why why have you forsaken me? What is the explanation for such a cry? As Peter would later write to first century believers, He would explain to them in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24 that upon the cross, Jesus was actually bearing all of our sins. Peter says he bore our sins in his own body upon the tree. You see, the judgment that our sins rightly deserve was now being poured out upon him. The judgment that all of my sin, the entirety of my sin, everything that I've ever thought, done, spoken, imagined that was contrary to God, that was evil at its very heart, all of that has been laid upon him. The prophet Isaiah got it so right when 700 years earlier he had written he would be wounded for our transgressions. He would be bruised for our iniquities. And the punishment that would bring us peace was placed upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. You see, Jesus in this moment was taking upon himself the sin of the whole world. 
He was dying in our place, as Peter would later say, the just for the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order that he might bring us to God. The Apostle Paul explains it like this in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, where he says, But God made him who had no sin to be sin, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. The enormity, the gravity of all that's taking place here cannot afford to escape us. We sometimes call it the doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement. He dies in my place. He bears the punishment that my sin rightly deserved. And the tragedy is, in the world in which we live, we are constantly being encouraged to denigrate the ugliness of our sin. We are being encouraged to to make our sin seem so much less sinful, so much less heinous. And so we quietly justify our sin. We call it a mistake. We satisfy ourselves that everybody else is doing it. And it's really not that bad and it's not really impacting that many other people and so it's really not so bad. And it's the lie of the devil to get us to convince ourselves that our sin is anything other than an absolute abomination and an abhorrence to God. So much so that as Jesus dies upon the cross and he takes upon himself my sin and your sin, he's forced to cry out, my God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? God himself is too holy to look upon sin. And so Jesus cries out from the cross. Do do you recognise something of the agony of his cry on your behalf this morning? On my behalf. But there's something else that we must understand. What are we to make of this fact that the curtain in the temple has been torn from top to bottom? One of the most powerful symbols of that day. That day as Christ dies upon the cross, suddenly, suddenly the way has been made open now for people like you and like me to come directly into the very presence of God. It's a fearful thing to enter into the presence of God, especially if our sin is not covered. It's a fearful thing. And yet, in the death of Christ, the perfect once-for-all atonement would be made for our sin, making it possible for us to enter into the very presence of God. I love the way that the writer of Hebrews puts it in Hebrews in chapter 10 and verse 4. He reminds us that the sacrifices that were made year after year only provided a a perpetual reminder for sin. And yet, because of Christ's death, our sin would be taken away. The writer of Hebrews says it was impossible that the blood of bulls and goats would ever take away our sins. They were only temporary sacrifices, but they would never deal with and cleanse our sin. At best they could provide a covering for our sin, but they could not provide a cleansing for our sin. And that cleansing would only be made possible through the blood of Christ. 
But when Jesus freely offers up his life upon the cross, without blemish, without any taint of sin, he becomes the once for all perfect sacrifice. Peter tells us that in 1 Peter 3.18. Christ died once for all. The once for all sacrifice for all of our sin, making it possible for people like me and you to come boldly into the very presence of God. Knowing that we will, we will never again be condemned before God on account of our sin. You see, no longer was it going to be necessary to have a fallen, sinful human being to serve as an earthly mediator between us and God. In this moment, Christ becomes both our sacrifice and our great high priest. He is the only one who can guarantee that you and I might be accepted before a holy God. There is no other way apart from the death of Christ in our place. But in dying, he opens the way for you and I to come boldly into the very presence of God. And so why the earthquake? A clear explanation for this is perhaps a little harder to find. But to be sure, it is well known that the city of Jerusalem sits atop a significant geological fault line and down throughout the centuries there have been reported earthquakes in that region, seismic activity that has caused significant damage. But this was something more than just an earthquake, wasn't it? Something more than just an earthquake. Matthew tells us that as the earth shook, the rocks were split and the tombs were open. In fact, Matthew tells us that as the tombs were broken open, holy people, many holy people who had died, were raised to life. What is happening here? Why does Matthew include this? Why does this happen at this point in time? I want to suggest to you It shouts a powerful message to all who will hear that through this one man's death, many, many will be raised to life. Because one man died, many will be brought into life. The Apostle Paul explains it so beautifully in Romans 5 and verse 17. He says, if by the transgression or the sin of one man, that is Adam, death reigned, How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Because this one man dies, his death provides the opportunity for so many to be raised to life. Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful? Remember the words of Jesus, I am come, that you might have life and that you might have it to the full, that you might have it more abundantly. His death would become the source of life for so many. Not just then, but for countless millions down throughout the centuries. Through his death, we would be offered the gift of eternal life. 
So what difference does all of this make? Is it good just to hear it because it's Good Friday? No, we need to contemplate again the profound significance of these things for us personally. Because Christ died and bore the punishment of all of my sin, all of your sin, we have the opportunity now to be totally and forever cleansed from all of our sins, never again to fear God's final judgment that God will condemn us to an eternity in hell to be forever separated from the presence of God. No, because Christ died in my place. He bore my punishment. Then I can have the assurance that my sin is not only covered, but it is totally cleansed. As far as the east is from the west, so far will he remove my transgressions from me. Well, praise God for that. Praise God for that. You know, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that he is able to even cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Aren't you relieved for that? How many people are plagued by a guilty conscience on account of their sin, but the blood of Jesus Christ is enough not only to cleanse me from my sin, but cleanse me from a guilty conscience. But not only that, Because of Jesus' death, God has offered to each one of us the right of access into his very presence. I love the way, again, the right of Hebrews. He just hones in on this so beautifully. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19, he says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open to us through the curtain, that is his body, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Do you realise what was accomplished for you? And for me, on that day, in that moment, as Jesus dies upon the cross, the way has been made fully and freely open for us to enjoy a fellowship with the God who made us, who made us for his glory. Again, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 4 says, let us then come boldly before the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can actually come boldly before him. Only because Jesus died in our place. And thirdly, perhaps, perhaps even more amazingly, we find that through the death of Christ, we have been offered this extraordinary gift, the gift of eternal life. Over 2,000 years ago, the earth shook. It certainly shook as God was enacting his glorious plan of salvation, that day, that day forever changed the lives of countless millions, not only for time but for eternity, that day. And I want to tell you that the events of that day are still transforming the lives of millions around the globe today. Millions around the globe 
every day are coming to the realisation of the truth that there is only one way that their sins could ever be truly cleansed and forgiven. There's only one way that they could ever be made truly right with God. There's only one way that they could ever be assured of the gift of eternal life and that is through faith in this Jesus. This Jesus Christ who died in our place. Who died in my place. That day that shook the earth can still transform the lives of people in this day. I hope you really believe that. It can and it is doing that. If people will simply recognise their sin for what it is, if they will own up to their sin for what it is, their sin and their pride, and they will turn and place their faith and trust in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the message in which we rejoice today. This is the message that we had to proclaim to the world, that Christ died for our sins, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order that he might bring us to God. Do you know what it is to be brought near to God? Today of all days we should revel in the wonder of the privilege that we have of being able to come boldly into the very presence of God And so we rejoice in the cross. Does it not seem ironic to you that the symbol of the Christian faith for centuries has been a symbol of death? But he died so that we might enter into life. And in this we rejoice today and we give thanks. Will you join me as we pray? Heavenly Lord, we want to say thank you for the amazing gift of your grace. In the coming of our Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that though he were God, yet he entered into our world. He became obedient even to the point of death, death upon a cross. He died so that we, who were once far from God, who are objects of your wrath, may become the objects of your mercy and grace. And we who are once dead in our transgressions and sins might be brought alive again and we might glory in the God of our salvation. Father, today, help us, we pray, amidst the other activities of our day, to take the time to pause and reflect again and again upon the profound significance of all that took place there upon the cross of Calvary. Lord, draw our hearts out after you in single-minded love and devotion for all that you have done for us in Christ. And we pray it all in the matchless name of this risen Lord Jesus Christ our Lord and Saviour. Amen.